This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You're live with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with my good friend, John Beeler. We've got a really interesting program today. Do you remember the Canada COVID Alert app, John? I sure do. This was the app heralded to help contact trace people that got COVID and the people that they were, I guess, in contact with. Right. And then alert you. Yes. If you had been near someone. Sounds good in theory, but I was still skeptical that people would want to actively put in that they have COVID and go out into the world still. Because, yeah, there was a whole bunch of factors that needed to happen to make it successful. Number one, people downloading it. Number two, people that got COVID actually putting that in the app. And not every province got on board either. In BC, where we're from, never happened. No. Ontario, I believe it did, and a few other provinces. But that just kind of negated the overall chances of success for this. And, you know, some big players got behind this. Apple and Google changed their their operating systems to allow this type of app to actually work and to build in all the privacy and security features. So we're going to talk with uh, an expert. His name's uh, Colin Furness out of the University of Toronto about why it failed and what could have been done better. What are some technologies that could have actually worked and helped and saved lives? We will also be talking about windows. We don't often talk about windows. It no. just seems like the vanilla pudding you eat, right? <laughs> yeah. Or the Rice Krispies in the morning. It's just it's there. Blah. It's just there. Yeah. Well, Windows 11 rumored to be coming out. I, I didn't know they were going to do that. I remember the, hearing them say Windows 10 is going to be the last version of Windows. It's just, just going to be updated all the time. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk with Brian Jackson from Infotech Research Group all about the rumors and, uh, and Windows 10 as well. So it's, it's some interesting stuff. And I want to talk about our contest. We are giving away an e-scooter from Unagi. This thing is amazing. It is like the, the Tesla of e-scooters. We're giving one away through our website, getconnectedmedia.com. And if you want extra chances to win, you have to stick around till the end of the program. We have a secret word for you. And if you put that secret word into the contest entry, you'll get extra ballots to up your chances of winning. It's kind of fun. Better chances than Lotto Max, which I still can't seem to win. Agreed. Agreed. I just keep getting free replays or a dollar <laughs> after spending $20. So right. I'm down. I'm down. Uh, let's look at some of the uh, the mobile and app news out there as we do every, uh, every show in the first segment here. Uh, this was interesting. There was a, an app that uh, snuck into the Apple App Store. And because you always think Apple, they've really locked down the App Store compared to like Google, the Google Play Store. Yeah, everything is vetted and it can take days, sometimes even weeks for an app to get approved by Apple. So this app was a pirate app that let you download TV shows and movies off the torrent sites, like pirated movies. But how did they get in there, John? (laughs) It was basically hidden inside a Sudoku app. (laughs) (laughs) Could you actually play Sudoku? Um, I I can't tell. Uh, it just sounds like when you launch the app, the the Sudoku games uh, user interface pops up, and and then basically after a few seconds, all the content in the app is replaced by a video browser interface, kind of like net like Netflix. Yeah, but for pirated movies. So they've taken it down now. Yes. If you had already downloaded, do you still have it? I. Th- Probably, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, so the app is called Zoshi Plus. But Z, have, Z, 
O-S-H-Y. Yeah. Plus. Unless you have a time machine, you probably can't download it. No. But it's so funny that they were able to get through that yeah. with some, some trickery. Like, I wonder how they, can they come after those guys now? Well, presumably, but I mean. Because they, they would have had to set up like a bank account and everything, wouldn't they? No, if it's a free, if it's a free oh if it's a free app yeah if it's free app yeah because they're not getting payments for it um, their developer account most likely would be frozen um, but <laughs> no kidding but depend- forever right but yeah. that's also something easily signed up for. anyone can get a developer's account yeah 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 you just pay your hundred bucks yeah okay let's move on to some of the other news uh, Amazon I think many of us use Amazon to to buy stuff. And they've got some pretty strict guidelines for the the companies that sell through Amazon. So, uh, you know, maybe you're starting to realize this. Amazon sells a lot of the stuff themselves, but they also have what's called a marketplace. It looks like it's coming from Amazon, but a lot of companies have their own stores there or other sellers sell stuff as well. And so they're always trying to up their ratings of their products, essentially. Yeah, because some some products, the ones that do well, have ridiculously large amounts of reviews. Yeah. And but it's a factor when I'm looking at stuff. If something's got like thousands of four-star reviews out of five, I'm feeling confidence. Yeah, because you know, because it sounds like a lot of people bought it. Yes, and it's not a horrible thing. It didn't burn their house down, and so that review process is kind of important. Because do you remember a few years ago, it was kind of like a wild west for reviews, and then they have like verified buyer. Yes. Flag there now. So yeah. this person actually had to have bought it through the Amazon system to write the review about it. Otherwise, you, we saw this a lot. A lot of people would review stuff and like the product hasn't been released yet. How can you review it? Exactly. Right. So they, sometimes they put a negative review because it wasn't released yet. It was delayed or something. Like yeah. That. But so now they have this verified review process, but they've Amazon started to remove some of these products from uh, from their stores and it sounds like uh they're claiming that over the last month or so they've removed a lot of products and they've removed some of the big products that we really like because of fake reviews and what happened and are they fake like what was the recent one well, so so Rav Power, they make these great little battery packs, little travel routers, things like that that we that we both love. And they the the fake review thing was when you get the product, you get a little coupon in the box saying, "Hey, if you like this product, give us a review and we'll give you 35 bucks." So basically they're paying for a review. Yes. Cuz probably $35 you could use as a promo code for another product. Right. If not, basically gives you that product for free. Yes. Because it just it feeds that review engine, right? Yes. So, um, but in recent weeks, they also removed Alki, which we really like. Yeah. And they also removed Empow. And these companies, they all kind of make a lot of the same stuff. A lot of uh, computer accessories, like dongles for USB ports and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of an interesting game, though, John. Like, there are some some products and, and sites that have really gamed the whole review system. Like, basically made their own reviews, fake reviews. Yeah. So... This isn't necessarily fake reviews in that regard, but they're paying people in a, in a way to, to leave a review and by giving them something, obviously, that's going to be positive. Yeah, in theory. The, the, the thing is, I recently bought a, a, a pet automated pet feeder for my cat. Yes. And it basically uh, has some additional accessories you can buy for it. So you can have actually have multiple bowls and things like that for the the pet food to come out but they're at an additional cost 
inside my box that says, hey, you've won the success rate. Just send us your order number to this email and we'll send it to you. I'm like, cool. Yep. Well, then I get an email from them. Thanks. Leave a review, take a screenshot of the review and then send that to us and then we'll send you the thing. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of like their way of getting around. Did you do it? No. Oh. I didn't want it that badly. What was it? It's just a, a secondary bowl that I didn't. Oh, who need. cares? Right. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's it's interesting. Well, I'm I'm glad that companies like Amazon are trying to make sure that the system is clean. Do you know what I mean? Like you're getting real reviews. Yeah, it's still probably whack a mole for Amazon. So yeah, but okay, John, we've got a lot to talk about on today's program. Uh, later on, uh, we will be chatting about Windows 11. When's that coming out? Well, apparently there's going to be an announcement coming up this week. So we've uh, got Brian Jackson on the line to give us uh, some info and some rumors about that. There's been a leak already with screenshots. And it's Father's Day. And it's Father's Day as well. And we'll be talking about Canada's COVID alert app. What went wrong and what could we have done that actually might have saved some lives? Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. We're going to talk about... COVID-19, and I know we're talked about this to death in so many different radio shows, but I want to talk about the COVID-19 alert app that came out in the early days of the pandemic and was, uh, I guess, hailed to be the the savior, the contact tracing savior uh, for for all governments. Uh, you know, all the big tech companies work together like Apple and Google to make sure that privacy was built into the phones to make sure that uh, your personal information wasn't being spread out in the universe. And the idea was that you download this app and uh, if there was any infected people around you and they, I guess, put that information into the app, you would be alerted. Yeah, although it takes, that's a big stretch, though, to have someone that's infected who gets a code from the government health authority, put it into their app, and then still go out into the world. <laughs> okay, so... I want to find out because we know it was a bust. No one is using it. Most of the provinces didn't even get on board with it. And we're going to find out why or some of the reasons uh, why we think why. We've got a great guest on the line. His name is Colin Furness. He is the infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto. Thanks for joining us, Colin. My pleasure. Thanks. You need to shorten your title. (laughs) I'll work on that. You could be the infection dude. Maybe that's not a good one. No. <laughs> so, Colin, uh, we've talked about this app uh, many times on the show, especially back last year, and then it just kind of disappeared off everyone's radar. We do the show out of BC. Uh, the BC government and uh, health officials here never got behind it. Uh, you could download the app, but you couldn't get any information. It, yeah, it. it wouldn't actually work here. So, Colin... You've been uh, looking into this. You've had experience with contact tracing. What the heck happened? There was a a real push early on to just be seen to be doing something, doing something innovative, doing something effective. And what everyone saw on the news was contact tracing is really important. And it's also incredibly time consuming. And it just looks like the perfect, perfect scenario for technology, for an app to come in and save the day. That was never going to work. And when I was asked to comment on this when it first came out, I said, this is never going to work. And it's never going to work for three reasons, despite its appeal. Um, The first is that the uptake was never going to be high. People will download Candy Crush and all sorts of fun things onto their phones. uh, But this is not fun. 
this is this is fun like insurance is fun it's it's something that 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 probably won't do anything at all and if it does it's bad news that's actually a pretty hard sell for people number two um it was designed for privacy and i'm all about privacy but sometimes you can lose the baby with the bathwater and the, the design for privacy made it so, made it so abstracted to the point that this app doesn't really tell you the kind of risk or danger that you have and it doesn't even tell you how long to wait before getting tested so it creates anxiety without actually giving you enough information to act in an intelligent way but the really big problem and the reason why i said it was never going to work is contact tracing is actually a complicated conversation to have between a tracer and and a patient and if you try and reduce it just to time and motion, so how close were you to someone for how many minutes, it doesn't tell you anything what you need to know. Two people could be on a bus on opposite sides, wearing masks, facing the other way, or they could be kissing passionately, or one of them could be outside the bus at the bus stop. The app doesn't know the difference. So it creates a, possibly a lot of contacts. I, I think about contact tracing as like finding needles in a haystack. The app, if people downloaded it, which they haven't, uh, it would create a ton of haystack, just a whole ton of haystack. But it's really unclear whether there'd be very many needles in there. And so it's it's something where I understand why people jumped on board. But again, it just ends up not being a good fit. Colin, there was so much effort put into this app. The The big tech companies got on board with it. Governments got on, on board with it. Couldn't someone at some point say, you know, like an expert, like this isn't going to work? I did. <laughs> and, I wasn't, and I wasn't the only one. But, but, you know, I'm just a voice in the dark. I think when you get political momentum behind something that feels like good news, it was a popular idea. And let's be really clear. COVID in Canada has been managed like a political problem, not a public health problem. And so if, a, if an app makes people feel like the government's doing something, if an app feels like makes people feel like there's momentum, uh, that this is a positive story, it's going to get built. And, and the voices that talk about how diseases work, how contact tracing works, those voices become much less important. And that's the story of COVID in Canada. So Colin, some governments, provincial governments got on board with it. I think Ontario did from my understanding. Did yes. they do anything with it? Well, it is in use. I mean, it's been pointed out that only a fraction of the people who actually get diagnosed actually go and put the code in. And they they probably should have been a redesign to say, you know what, let's make it opt out. Let's make that happen unless you expressly say you don't want to do it. And, you know, if we had if we had fewer civil liberties, if we had more control over the population, you know, we'd forcibly install this on everyone's phone and say, if you don't want it, you can delete it. We don't work that way. Um, but that's, that's those are the sorts of things that would have needed to have been done. And there was a lot of publicity in Ontario. Download the app. And, and even though I was criticizing it, I was also on the radio saying, yeah, download the app. It's not going to work, but we're going to learn from it. And I think we should all try and learn from it. <laughs> download the app, but it's not going to work. So have you heard any anecdotal evidence uh, or any information from any government that has used the information in any way? I, I have not heard anything. In the very early days, there was a report that an infection had been found with the app. That was one early report. There was no details, of course. And so it couldn't be confirmed. 
Since then, not so much. There was another report of someone showing up at an assessment center um, and they they produced the fact that the app had, had given them this notification. And because of guidance at the time, that person was actually slapped with a, they weren't tested, but they were sent home and slapped with a, a quarantine order, an enforced quarantine order that essentially made them prisoners in their own house without a test. And so I think there was a lot of confusion around when someone has a positive result from this, what what do public health authorities need to do? In other words, it added some complexity there. But really, it's it has fallen out of the public eye, it, like so many technologies that seem like a good idea, but don't really solve the problem that, that they're meant to do. Colin, wasn't there also a problem early on with uh, medical professionals refusing to install the app because they're around those people all the time. And that was also kind of like a mixed message, I think, for the public. It's like, well, they're not going to do it, so maybe I shouldn't. With a, with, you know, that's a great point. I think with an app that simplifies things, as I said, to simple distance and motion, all this information, like you're a healthcare professional working among sick people all day long, there's no room for that in the app. And so, yes, if I were working in an acute care facility with COVID patients, uh, the last thing I would have is that app installed. That would, be, that would make no sense. And yet that can be pretty hard to put into a soundbite to explain to people. We're talking with Colin Furness. He is uh, an infection expert. I'm not going to do his title yet till later. <laughs> We're talking about the COVID-19 tracing app and the overall failure of it. It seemed like a great idea at the time. It didn't work. A lot of the experts actually spoke up about this. When we come back from the break, Colin's going to tell us what might have worked. And you'd be surprised. It might even be on your wrist as we speak. You're listening to the app show. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. Don't forget to visit our website. We're giving away an awesome prize this week or this month. Uh, an Inagi e-scooter. Super fun. Super fast. Yeah, this thing can go like 30 clicks. Yeah. You don't have to go 30 clicks. You can go a lot slower, which I, I typically do. But this is a great way to get around town. A lot of cities and municipalities are opening the, opening up their roadways and bike lanes for these. You'll have to check with your city. Uh, but if you want a chance to win, visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. So we have been talking all about the COVID-19 tracing app that literally bombed here in Canada. Not all the governments uh, got behind it, and you never really hear anything about it anymore. We've been talking with Colin Furness. He's an infection control epidemiologist and assistant professor at the Faculty of Information at the University of Toronto. So, Colin, we kind of know why it didn't work now. What would you have done differently? It's a suggestion I actually made, and unfortunately, it fell upon deaf ears, which is too bad because it might have made a a pretty significant difference. But it was uh, as early as last April that an emergency room doctor in New York discovered that one way that you could really often tell people who had COVID and who were contagious, but who were asymptomatic was to either look at a chest x-ray, but of course people don't walk down the street with chest x-rays, or you could measure what's called the blood oxygen saturation, so how much oxygen is in your blood. It's It's an indirect measure of how well your lungs are functioning. And this guy was seeing in the emergency room people who looked fine, but their lungs were barely working quite quite concerning and so this measurement of blood oxygen saturation turns out to be a powerful screening tool is it perfect no but it could identify asymptomatic cases so i went and thought about that and i looked at my wrist where i, I wear a fitbit and uh you know a, a higher end one and of course there's apple watches i don't own one of those but 
both of these devices actually measure your blood oxygen saturation and they measure it in real time and they measure it as long as you're wearing it, which means they have all this historical data. So if you contract COVID and you're asymptomatic and your lungs start to fill up with virus, your blood oxygen saturation will, will drop. And so these devices ought to be able to simply give you an alarm to say, hey, your blood oxygen is lower than it usually is for you. You should go get tested. That would be a very simple thing to do. The problem is that the American Food and Drug Administration has said to the makers of these devices that consumers should not be given this data. That, that predates COVID. They shouldn't be given this data because they won't know what it means. And so these devices were designed to collect this data, but not to share it with the wearer. So you are providing Apple or Fitbit with regular readings of blood oxygen saturation, and they are doing nothing with it that could protect you from COVID. I made the suggestion right into the Premier of Ontario's office to say that under the Emergencies Act in Ontario, the Premier can order up any information from any corporation that would help in ending the pandemic. So there's explicit language in there, a couple of phone calls to say, you need to pony this up. You need to deliver this information. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It could almost be emailed. And the response I got was, well, we don't know how to do that. And that was a kind of a disappointing response. But not surprising, I guess. Oh, my God. No, not surprising. The answer was on our wrists. So uh, you're saying that uh, the regulatory bodies down in the U.S., and I, I'm assuming Canada would be very similar, uh, do not want the wearers of these to, to know that information because why? Because they'd flood the doctor's offices and hospitals? Because it, you know, it, it could cause, in theory, it could cause people to misunderstand their health, to become concerned. There's, there's a lot of paternalistic reasons why you might want to not share someone's own health information with them. I disagree. I think the watch, uh, the watch or the Fitbit already tells you a lot of things that are prone to misunderstanding, such as how many calories you burn, but not really, or how many steps you took, but that's not an accurate count. So they're already doing a lot. And, and so their logic doesn't actually make much sense to me, but that's what the FDA said. And, and there's just been a huge amount of inertia. No one seems to interested in revisiting this and saying, wow, this would be a really great COVID detector. And it's, it's, private it's it's well it's private between you and the corporation that uh that uh, services your device but that would be very useful very democratizing well it's interesting because there was recently a study about the apple watch and and similar devices the measurements that they're taking a lot of doctors are concerned there would be a flood of people with basically false positives and you know freaking out because their watch said that you know their heart rate's too high or you know something like that but the results ended up sort of saying that that's not the case what's happening is people are actually having a better conversation with their doctors about their own health because they're a little bit more educated about what some of the stuff means because they're spending the time to figure it out as opposed to just going in blindly oh people aren't stupid no <laughs> funny that well you know some probably are and and i imagine that that doctors doctors probably do face some of that some of the time the, the whole field of what's called consumer health informatics, right? Providing this kind of stuff directly to consumers is really burgeoning. And, and I, I can imagine it probably does create some strain and stress among doctors. But just as you say, it also creates more literate patients. So I think there's probably some give and some take there. Yeah. And at any rate, the genie's out of the bottle. People have these devices. Oh, so many different things that technology could have potentially helped uh, with information here. Colin, I want to thank you so much for joining us uh, today. Uh, and again, uh, Colin is uh, an expert in this field. He is an infection control epidemi epidemiologist and assistant professor at the Faculty Information at the University of Toronto. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. 
You are back with the program. Mike and John here. We're going to talk about Windows now. We talk a lot about Apple and Mac all, all the time, but, uh, you know, the majority of the world uses Windows on their desktop and uh, laptop PCs. Some more than others, right? Sure, Mike. <laughs> I know people here at work make fun of me because uh, I'm I'm by like I'm both Apple and Windows. I use both machines. You don't. You don't. I do. Do you? Yeah. Where? At home. Okay. I have two Windows. I have a laptop and a desktop keyboard that has a computer built into it. Of course. Well, we're going to talk about uh, Windows 10, which is kind of the version that most people are using out there. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, and also rumors of Windows and ele- uh, Windows 11 and what that means. Like, do we even care anymore? We've got Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group on the line. He's our Windows expert. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Happy to be here, guys. So before we get into the Windows 11 rumors, uh, let's look at Windows 10. Like, how many people are using it? Do you have the numbers there? Like, are people still on Windows 7 or earlier versions? Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of adoption, but what I can tell you is that Windows 10 is by far the most used version of Windows today. Okay. And that's because when Windows 10 was released uh, back in 2015, that was six years ago, wow. if you can believe it. Yeah, the, but they made this huge effort to, uh, it was free for the first year, so anyone that was upgrading from Windows 7 or 8 to Windows 10 was able to get that for free. And now they push out the uh, cloud updates automatically Automatically. So there was a huge effort to move everybody off of the existing version of Windows they had onto this new version. And it avoided this whole problem that we had before, where somebody bought Windows XP and then they just held on to that until yeah. the bitter end because yeah. it was you didn't want to buy the big expensive $100 operating system. You were thinking, hey, this is good enough. It'll work uh, continually until uh, Microsoft literally forces me to upgrade to something else. But Brian, was that a big hit revenue-wise to Microsoft back in the day? I know Apple's been doing their updates, you know, for their Macs for free, but that's a different story, right? Because they own the hardware, right? They're, they're trying to get you to buy the hardware. Microsoft doesn't own the hardware. Yes, they have a few laptops and Surface laptops, uh, but, you know, as far as revenue, you know, giving it away for free, that's like hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, isn't it? Well, that's one way to look at it. You say you don't get uh, the big ticket item on making the sale on that box of windows anymore, but it's actually changed the business model. And if you look at the financials for Microsoft, nobody's going to take issue with what Satya Nadella has done shifting uh, Microsoft to a cloud-first subscription-based service for a number of things. Not that you have to subscribe to Windows, but it is a service, right? So what Satya Nadella did with Windows is he changed the business model. No longer is it transactional, where you try and get that your profit margin from making that one-time sale, but now he's trying to get money out of you for the entire lifetime that you own Windows 10 on the device that you use. So uh, no longer are you just a one-point transaction type of opportunity to Microsoft. You're an ongoing, how much money can we squeeze out of this person during their entire lifetime with the the device? And that's changed the game for Microsoft. It's been very revenue positive. No one leaves the family, essentially. So uh, the one thing they said, though, I I remember, remember this. I don't know who said it, but they said Windows 10 will be the last version of Windows. What did that mean? Yeah, well, I think what they said is that it'll be the last version of Windows that you ever have to install. But my memory 
going back to 2015 might be a bit foggy on that uh, because everything that happened before the pandemic just seems like it was at least 20 years ago now. <laughs> There's this weird time thing. But um, let me sort of explain why it's true, even though it's not true. So Windows 11, yes, it's a new, big, shiny version of Windows. One day your computer is going to look different. People are going to freak out because their user interface is radically changed. The start menu is not where you expect it to be. But at the end of the day, Windows 10 isn't the same operating system that it was six years ago. We get major uh, updates to Windows every quarter. This one happens to be called Windows 11. But it'll be delivered to your computer, I suspect, in the same way that every operating system update that you've got on your Windows device has been delivered. It'll just update one day, it'll download in the background, and then it'll ask you, are you ready to install Windows 11? And you'll say yes, and it'll, it'll just be there. Because, yeah, the, all the updates, because I have an automatic update, so I'm just getting all these new features and stuff for Windows 10. I don't even know it, really. Like, it's just happening in the background. Uh, so let's talk about Windows 11 what are the rumors there? Like, what are we going to see different than what we're using right now? Well, Microsoft isn't saying a lot about Windows 11 right now because they're having a big event next week where they're going to release this thing. And they've teased that. Uh, so we know Windows 11 is going to be unleashed and they'll show us all the features then. But there's a leaked version out there. So we've got an early under the hood look. And uh, I was reading The Verge. I want to shout out Tom Warren there because it was his article that I was scouring for details about Windows 11 and uh, it's totally different like in terms of the look of it it looks more like a Mac actually uh, so first of all the icons are in the center of the taskbar uh, you know everything used to be shifted off to the left there around that start menu and the start menu is totally different when you click on that it's um, a, to a different design it brings up like a a range of icons that look more like you would touch them, something like on your um, a tablet, right? So they're nice big icons that are suitable for touch devices as well as using a mouse. So I think this is going to be a touch-friendly um, operating system that suits many different types of devices. And many Windows devices already have touch screens, so that makes sense to me. Um, but you know, all the foundational aspects of Windows are still going to be there. You'll still have File Explorer. You'll still be able to search for your documents. Uh, you'll be able to navigate through your folders in much the same way, maximize Windows, minimize Windows. So there's, it's going to be aesthetically a lot different. The icons are different. Uh, I'll throw around some design words. It's cleaner. It's more modern. Uh, but at, at, the, at the end of the day, I think you'll... Uh, get used to it. Maybe there will be some initial swearing, but you'll say, hey, this is, I'm actually uh, liking this a little bit more. Um, it, it's more intuitive. I'm just looking at some of the pictures uh, online of the uh, the interface. And like you said, they've moved the start menu to the, uh, the middle bottom there. But yeah. if you want, you can move back to the left side. And then it looks like Windows 10 right. again. <laughs> well, I've got to give people the option, right? You try, you try and lead people to change, but some people just don't want to go. Do you get a sense it's still going to... Uh, the one thing I don't like about Windows 10, uh, it seems like they've kind of... There's like mishmashes of Windows versions all throughout it. Like I can get to the control panel that looks familiar, like from Windows 7 and, you know, back. But you can also get to the control panel, like the Windows 10 version that looks more tablet-like. 
as well as far as the, the interface. So it just doesn't seem like a clean overall user interface. I'm wondering if they're going to fix some of that with Windows 11. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And uh, when Windows 10 came out, there was sort of this effort to make a tablet version of the device, the touch-centric version of the device. And then there was that traditional Windows 10, right? And so maybe they're trying to make an effort to be more consistent here. And where that will be most important is in terms of what they do with the Microsoft Store, which is a big part of, of Windows 10. So um, and it will be a big part of Windows 11 too, of course. So what we're seeing in the rumors, and Microsoft hasn't confirmed this, so we're in speculative territory here, but I'm going there. Um, we've seen that you know they might be more willing to allow different types of applications into the Microsoft Store. So to date, if you open up that Microsoft Store in Windows, and I forgive you if you've actually never done that, because there's not a lot of reason to, but you'll, you you won't find Google Chrome there or Microsoft or Mozilla. Firefox or Adobe Photoshop or Creative Cloud there because it's it is very restrictive and they require developers to work inside of this special type of wrapper uh, that makes it easy to uh, display the same application across many different device types. So we're expecting that Microsoft will move away from that and actually allow developers more flexibility and you'll be able to get more different types of applications into that app store. We're talking with Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group all about uh, the swirling Windows rumors. There's going to be, uh, I think, an announcement of an updated version of Windows 10. Could be Windows 11. Who knows what they're going to call it uh, in the end of the day. Brian, I want to thank you for joining us today. Hey, always happy to be with you guys. Cheers. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You're back with the App Show. Mike and John here. We've been uh, talking about this contest we got going on, John. An Unagi e-scooter designed, built in California. This thing's like the Tesla of e-scooters. It's simply amazing. So if you want extra chances to win, and again, go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. That's how you enter. We have a secret word today, John, and uh, just in time for... Father's Day. That's the secret word. All one word. All one word. So again, if you want a chance to uh, win this amazing scooter, it's, it's so smooth. It's got the braking, a little horn, can go 30 clicks. When I say 30 clicks, kilometers an hour. Don't have to go that fast, but if you want to get a little speed going, this thing can, this thing can go. Go to the website, getconnectedmedia.com. I want to thank uh, all the folks that helped put the program together. Of course, John, my uh, co-host and producer, and of course, uh, Christina Soyanova back at the, the studio and all the rest of the team as well. Hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, to uh, find out about our sister show, Get Connected, and uh, all the other videos and blogs that uh, we are constantly putting up there. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.